we come to you every every day and we come to your word and we just seek you in it, Lord. We need uh, the peace and the comfort that you provide. We need to, uh, to see you more uh, each time uh, we are introduced to you, Lord, through your word. Help, help me to represent you well this morning, Lord. Help me to open our eyes uh, to what your word says and how amazing it is, Lord, how amazing you are in all your creation and all that you've done and in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so it's really, uh, you know, a pleasure and an honor for me always uh, to stand up here and discuss God's Word with you. I'm glad to be back. Today we're going to be beginning a study of Psalm 8. This is a Messianic psalm. I should start by telling you that my rejuvenated interest in the Psalms is a little bit of a story. Uh, maybe you've heard me say before that I came to trust Jesus as my Savior uh, at a later age, somewhere around my 37th birthday. And when I came to Saving Faith, I began to have an intense desire to study God's Word. I was reading it and commentaries by many authors who were recommended to me by Christians that I trusted. An early focus for me was prophecy, especially fulfilled prophecy. Um, it served to authenticate the scriptures, and it made the Bible so trustworthy for me personally. Um, later, I was particularly drawn to the study of the end times, or eschatology, and I would read at least one or two books a month on the topic. All of this helped me to formulate my understanding of how Jesus' return will occur. The more I learned and understood, the greater my excitement and enthusiasm. Now, more recently, something interesting and even a little unexpected has happened. The shadows of events that should be surrounding the Lord's return have begun to cast themselves on the world stage. As I look around, it has become undeniably evident to me at least, that things are rapidly changing in our world today. I believe we can see this in politics, in culture, finance, religion, and so on. A kind of craziness has taken hold that's unlike anything that I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm left feeling what I can only describe as edgy, just edgy. So now, rather than being concerned with in times details, I find that I'm seeking refuge and comfort in God's Word. What I mean is that as reality has set in, small prophecy nuances aren't nearly as important to me. Now, I'm more concerned with a deeper understanding of and a closeness to God. That's what's important. And so it follows that I'm often drawn to the Psalms just as many believers have been down through the years. That's my story. So let me say a bit about the Psalms in general. The Hebrew word for Psalms means praise or book of praise. The Greek word adds the idea of having a musical accompaniment. In many ways, the Psalms are the hymnal of the temple. Charles Spurgeon referred to the book as the treasury of David. And indeed, David is the human author of at least 73 of the Psalms. 
though some of the psalms are specifically designated messianic, and these are the ones I plan to focus on, Christ, the Messiah, is prominent throughout all of the psalms. That is, the king and his kingdom are a major theme of the psalms. Having said that, I should also point out that there is a distinctly Jewish application with the psalms, even though they speak to the hearts of all generations of believers. Someone has said that every human experience can be found in the Psalms. Although I don't quote him often, I really like what John Calvin understood when he wrote, the Psalms are the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And J. Vernon McGee believed that there's more, a more complete picture of Christ in the Psalms than in the Gospels. He said that whereas the Gospels tell us Jesus went to the mountain to pray, the Psalms give us His prayer. And though the Gospels tell us Jesus was crucified, in the Psalms we can read what was going on in His heart. Even though I firmly believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture, I also know that when it comes to the Psalms, we should understand that we can't be too dogmatic. These treasures... They affect individuals differently and sometimes quite personally. I know that I have attached certain psalms and phrases from psalms to personal and relational experiences that I've had with God, and that is a good thing. We need to leave space for individual application and understanding. Yes, there are specific prophecies and biblical themes to be found here, but there's also room for discussion. So these are just a few of the reasons I've chosen to go through this, some of the psalms. You might recall we started with Psalm 2 last October, and uh, in it we considered, uh, it is considered the first Messianic psalm. In that psalm, uh, we saw that three questions were asked. Why do the nations or the heathens rage? Why do they conspire together? And why do they take a stand against the Lord and His anointed? We saw that both the political and religious rulers of the world viewed God's authority as too restrictive, and they refused to submit. God's ultimate answer was, well, that's really too bad because I'm in charge. <laughs> so Psalm 8 is the next designated Messianic psalm. This is because it is prophetic of Jesus, and it is quoted in the New Testament as such. It's also considered to be one of the Psalms of creation because it demonstrates to us how God wants us to view Him in relation to His works of creation. Now, I'd like for us to approach Psalm 8 in a slightly atypical manner. With your indulgence, I want us to look at it from three separate vantages or perspectives and with three distinct goals. First, I'd like us to take just a superficial reading and surface assessment of the psalm. The purpose is to get the tenor or the basic message of this scripture. This might be more in line with what a contemporary of David would have taken away from the psalm when, when they were singing it. Remember, he or she wouldn't have had the benefit of the completed Bible such as we do. Next, I want us to take a slower, more observant kind of a walkthrough of the psalm. And I especially want to hear your views and perspectives on some of the the ideas, the wording, and the phrases that are found in this text. And then finally, I want us to take a deeper dive below the surface to see if we can find some great themes of the Bible reflected in this psalm. <clears throat> 
So if you're all okay with that, we're, we're going to begin. Now, I'm going to read the psalm, and I want you just to relax and listen closely. I want you to think about what the psalmist writes when he is exalting God. I want you to consider the message that this psalm imparts and think about the questions it leaves with you. Okay. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is from the NIV, 1984 edition. I found that it's not quite as PC as the 2011 edition. It seems, it seems that it's a little closer to the original Hebrew meaning. In other words, we have the phrase son of man found here, which is not in the 2011. They, they say human beings. And also, this is very important. Uh, this just happens to be the version that I have at home. <laughs> so uh, I should probably insert a little disclaimer here. Uh, in preparing this study, I've chosen to use multiple translations, primarily uh, NIV, NAS, ESV, and the Amplified. And I've done this in order to highlight some things about this psalm. So yes, I have sort of cherry-picked from various translations to emphasize certain points. I would say, before we start talking about it, that one thing you may notice immediately about this psalm is that it is completely Godward, completely directed to God. Some of the Psalms will be talking about God to us, and some may be a combination, both Godward and manward. But this Psalm is one that is totally Godward. So, what, what kind of message did you hear when I read through the Psalm? Remember, the people who would have originally heard or sang this would have only had a portion of the Old Testament and none of the New Testament. What sort of things did you hear in those short nine verses? Praise. Very good. It starts with praise. Praise, especially for His name. You know, God's name is so important. What about His glory? How high, how high is it? Above the heavens, above the heaven, above his creation. I heard children speak. Did you hear that? Did you catch it? And they spoke praise for God, right? And when they did that, they're putting down God's enemies. I think there's a, a, a major focus here on God as creator. The splendor also of, the, of what he has created. How marvelous is his creation, which speaks of him. Any other things? Say it, Stella. 
that he cares for us. I think David is amazed that he considers man. That means God thinks about us. He thinks about us. And he cares for us as well. That is amazing, especially in this comparison. That, that occurs around, right around the uh, mention of his creation, the greatness of his creation. And then there's man. So there's this comparison, right? It's a little overwhelming. It's a comparison of contrasts. Great, this mighty creation and, and, the, and the little man. Well, how does he think of us? Um, and what about crowning us? Crowning us with honor and glory and giving rulership. Right. And it, we should be aware of that, but we're not aware of that. The, the world at large doesn't, doesn't care. It's more that Psalm 2 attitude. You know, this is, this is, to the psalmist, this stuff is obvious. He's not making something that he, he thinks is extra, uh, you know, out of the norm. He's stating what is obvious. The original creation we see here of man, you know, pre-fall Adam and Eve, uh, that they are given dominion. Over the earth, he specifically says, these animals, do we have that dominion anymore over these things? You know, James uh, 3.7 says that we can tame an animal, but we, I don't know that we've got dominion over these animals. You know, we can't even tame our tongues, but uh, we, we, we had something, it seems, at the beginning of this psalm that's not, not with us right now. And I think our hearts long for it. Anything else? Right. That sense of relationship, that's a very important point, and we're going to look at that in detail. And I think that that has a lot to do with being created in the image of God. That that, that is, you know... Uh, we're, we're just wired for this. And uh, so that's an important point. So uh, before moving on from this quick reading assessment to our more observant walkthrough, I just I have one additional comment, and I think it's important that we don't miss this. A major feature of this psalm is that it praises God, and rightfully so. The word majestic speaks of His power, His royalty, His splendor and magnificence. And the, the psalmist, David, is saying that the entire creation is crying out with that message. First, that there's a creator. And second, how marvelous this creator is. God is to be exalted. That's very important. And the reason uh, I was reading through Nehemiah and I came across this, this section, and I think that's the same real, realization uh, that Ezra the priest had uh, with some of the others when they uh, give their prayer, which is recorded in Nehemiah 5. And I just want to read that. Let's see. I put them in parallel. Nehemiah 5, 6 and 7, it says, excuse me, 5 and 6. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is on them. 
You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. I think that's pretty similar understanding of that, of that author. Okay. All right. So that's just a cursory reading of the, of the psalm and kind of what the message uh, we have there. It's, kind of, it's still pretty uh, vague for us right now, still a little cloudy. So we're going to start to go through and break down some of the words and phrases that we see in this psalm and talk about them because, believe me, I don't have the answers. But I think it's important to discuss uh, these things. So we'll, we'll begin this slower walkthrough. Now, during this part of the study, I'd like to look at these specific words and, and phrases so we can get a better idea of what David and the Holy Spirit are trying to tell us. And then you can see I've highlighted, I didn't move on, did I? Why did that move? That's not working. Sorry. It's frozen. We have any techno wizards here? Let me try something. Okay, that that is the number one rule. All right, let's try again here. Sorry, I was wondering why I was getting so many blank stares. No, it is. This is the, the one that's not working. Or just re- you don't think it's? I think it's this. Yeah, it's showing on my screen. We should be on this slide. I already closed it and reopened it. No. PowerPoint. I think it's a TV. Yeah. I think it's a TV. I can. Right here. Let me go in the system. It should be right here. It's in multiple places. It was working great. I mean, but it, it only comes up when I, I got something. No, it's stuck. It's stuck on that slide. Should we unplug the TV itself? That's way too old-fashioned. Well, my notes are on there. Do what? You could try the other one. Good. I'm up for that.
Leave it to me. I've never seen a police report, so. That's, that's right. This one's uh, right. Yeah, I tried that one. Yeah? Oh, you did. Okay. It, it won't go past that slide. No, it won't. Please, it's on that. It's, I bet there's a video built into it. Right on that one later on. Can I get rid of this one for now and try this one? See if it comes up. But that, that slide is here. Let me try something. I've enabled. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it's not. Do you have the slides turned on in a special way that has a video on it or something? I can. I mean, can I dip? I can open up in Keynote. I'll tell you what I can do. Hang on. Let me try making a correction and see if it. That's when it usually says, do you want to. Uh, Disconnect that first. Sorry about that. What if I get off the internet? Well, it's off. Do you have keynote on your I have what? Keynote. I don't know what that is. Anybody have a paper and crayons? Are you reading your notes off of it? I need them, yeah. Put it in presenter view. Yeah, there's something up with it. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with the TV, though. Obviously, it's not. Yeah, you just want to go with reading off of it. No, not, I, not having it up there. I can, but I need my slot my notes. Right. These are, these so you are need to see your notes. Mm -hmm. We still can't get through. So much for the 21st century. John, do you have Keynote on your phone? Did that come up to you? Is your phone called Jonathan's iPhone? Oh, well. I just keep going. I don't know why. Let me try one thing.
Okay, you can't see it. You'll just have to trust me. So going back to the slide, we're doing a slower walkthrough. Slower than I expected. Okay, and I want to look at phrases. Make sure you've got your Bibles open. So I've, I've highlighted the, the first and the last verses of Psalm 19. Um, to David, I just want to say uh, it is obvious, and I believe he takes the position that God's name and His glory are clearly presented through His creation of the physical universe. And that's why the psalm is also designated a creation psalm. Nobody should miss that. Uh, in fact, in Psalm 19, David uh, says that the evidence of God's creation, that is the, the fact that He has made everything, it is clear and should be understood even as a voice speaking and declaring such to the whole world. That's in Psalm 19. And although, although creation is a nonverbal speech, it is a universal speech, crossing all language barriers. In, in addressing God, in the first verse, it may appear as if he's repetitive. He says, O Lord, our Lord. But when you look at it, and your scripture to be the same, the words for Lord are different. The first is written in all capital letters, and in Hebrew, it would be understood as what we know the Tetragrammaton, the YHWH, which has come to be known as Yahweh, and then later as Jehovah. This is God's name. This is when, when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? God responds in Exodus 3, uh, verses 14 and 15, telling him to say, I am sent you. I am that I am. And it comes from the Hebrew word for being, for being, much like our English word for is. The name identifies God as the self-existent, self-sufficient being. That name could be literally understood then as he who will be and has been and is. In reading allows, in reading aloud, the Jews would have substituted the word Adonai for fear of taking God's name in vain. Israel, you might have something to add. Uh, on that section about about the Lord's name. Anything? Okay. Well, then by the time we get to the second word for Lord in the opening verse, it is Adonai. This is Adonai, which is one of God's titles. It identifies God as Lord, Master, Ruler. It's a title of respect, and it indicates the one having power, authority, and the one having influence to rule. So in the opening verse, David is addressing God both by his name and then by his title of respect. If we go back then to the opening and the closing praise uh, 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 verses in this psalm, they are praises. It begins in praise and it concludes in praise. And some of the commentaries I looked at, they find a parallel here with creation itself. It began in praise and it will end in praise. And I say in, in the sense of the return of the Lord. So we're going to look at Christ's return later on in the study. But first, let's, let's hear what God told Job about praise at the beginning of creation. And that's in the 38th chapter of Job. Uh, let me read it to you. Job 38, and this is verses uh, 4 through 7. It says, Where were you, God speaking to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you, have, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its 
cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So in verses 4 through 7 of 38 of, uh, of Job, God has some rather probing questions for Job, and you can even detect some sarcasm in it. Uh, but in verse 7, a couple of fascinating facts are lifted out. First, that there was corporate praise when the earth was brought into existence. And this praise was from the morning stars and the sons of God, which represent the heavenly host. And second, this means that the angelic hosts were already present, that is, before humans were created, which is some rather interesting uh, information. Anybody have any comments on that? Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. So Kevin says that, that that beginning and end are kind of like bookends of praise. And in between, you have your given information and reasons why this is truth. Something like that? Yeah. And I agree with that totally. Uh, I think that, that, you know, we need to not miss that this, is a, this psalm is of exaltation. And it's of things that David saw as obvious. Okay. We're living in a world now that doesn't agree with any of this. Okay. I guess the other thing for me is this is a I think it is a it's it's explaining a fact as well. Yes it's a phrase, but it's also a fact. And then I think the the detail in the psalm lays out the the um, points. I think there are three points really that it's laying out mm-hmm. it's saying this is this is Right. So these are they are facts. They shouldn't This is something that nobody should miss. I agree with that. And point by point we'll be addressing it. What? Carol. Okay. Yes. If I if my slides were working we would see that. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that's a very important point. I think that's one of Kelly's pet peeves, if I'm not mistaken, is contemporary Christian music. And the change uh, in tenor of the music, the attitude of the singer, and, you know, it's not all about God anymore. This psalm is all about God. And uh, it's, it's more about, oh, how I feel with God and what He's done to, for me and all this stuff. And I think it, it just shifts the focus in a way that it wasn't meant to be. It, there's that fear of the Lord that just seems to be lessened uh, these days. Good comments. Okay, next, if, I, if you were watching these slides, you'd see I had highlighted uh, the work of your fingers and the works of his hands. 
all right? So we have, we have fingers and we have hands, and it's speaking of God. And the works are the heavens and the earth, and taken in total, that, that would, that's the entire physical universe is spoken of in this psalm. Um, so what do we think about that phraseology that's used here, fingers and hands? Does God have fingers and hands? Does He have fingers and hands? Well, you know, in John, John 4.24, Jesus was speaking of the Father. He says that God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Each of these works of God's creating are further defined in the psalm for us. The works of God's fingers is synonymous with His heavens, and these are defined as the moon and the stars, and we have cosmology there. Uh, when we get to the works of His hands, it's, it's synonymous in the psalm, and it's really important to see this, with the word everything, with the word everything. Somebody? Yes. I agree. I agree. Uh, we'll touch that in the next slide. So uh, the works of his hands, synonymous with everything. In the context, it's defined as all flocks and herds, beasts of the field, which are land animals, then birds of the air, air animals, and then we have fish and all that swim, sea animals. So there's creation, the physical universe, and it's God's handiwork, his fingers and hands. So what do we call this kind of figurative uh, literature that speaks of God having human characteristics. Perfect. Anthropomorphic, anthropomorphism. Of course, we understand that Jesus took upon Himself sinless flesh. He has fingers and hands and feet and all that. But when we speak of the Father or the Godhead in these terms, it's figurative, figurative and it's for our benefit, for our understanding. Uh, I'll say that I do find it interesting that creation and all of its beauty and its complexity and its splendor, it's but God's handiwork, and that's by His own assessment. And yet, what about redemption of fallen mankind? Our salvation and all that God's holiness and His justice required. I'm speaking of that which was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, our Savior. Does Scripture tell us how God views His work of salvation using anthropomorphic terms? And would I ask that question if he didn't? <laughs> yes. Okay, he does. Let me read you. Isaiah 52.10. This is speaking of salvation. And it says, The Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. So this verse in Isaiah implies that God must consider our salvation to be even greater than His work of creation, His arm. Just think about the immensity and the majesty of creation. So I get a mental picture of a weightlifter, you know, kind of pulling his shirt up and showing his arm to all the competition out there to let them know what they're up against with God regarding salvation. You know, the point for me is that I, I may never fully comprehend the cost and all that went into God's plan and accomplishment of salvation for me and for all believers. Do y'all have any thoughts on that?
Do you ever just sit out, you know, in uh, in the evening and look up at the sky? Right. We we lose focus on that majesty. I mean, I can do that, look up in the sky, or I can pick up a ladybug, and I'm looking at it, and I'm counting the dots on it, and there's symmetry. I mean, what point, what purpose does that serve? Other than complexity and beauty. What, Kevin? I think that's what stands out to me is when I, when I look at that whole table, it's the detail, right? Yeah, the detail. And it's interesting because when the Exodus, you know, when the, when the plague happened, uh, the magicians could reproduce. Just as, right. Right? They couldn't reproduce the gnats. The gnats, why? Because? That just, the, the finger of God uh-huh. was always there. Great. Great point. Okay. But I think it's the detail of what God does that um, stands out to me. That's an excellent, excellent point. What do you have, Jeff? Well, in the last couple of years, I've just recognized that when Jesus healed somebody, mm-hmm. you think about someone who was born blind, who was born with just un- unable to walk. Even, even when somebody had surgery and, you know, knee surgery or something, they had to go through therapy to relearn how to walk. You know, it suddenly gives you sight. You, we, you know, you can watch videos now of people who suddenly have heard for the first time. Mm-hmm. But there's all this adjustment that takes place. When Jesus healed, it was so instantaneous. And so, because, you know, people are, there are people that seem to have a hard time with the fact that God created the world the way he did with, you know, Adam and Eve, when they, when they were, when he created them, they looked like you or me. They they had age about them, right? Like Maturity. Probably weren't as old as we are today. But, yeah. But it wasn't like they came out as infants, you know. Right. God created like that. And, it, you know, he took six days. Why? Don't know. He could have done it like that, you know. But that's that's when we, when we recognize that's who he is. He is majestic. You know, he is so much more. But we see it in all of his works. And that, that they are amazing. We're going to, we're going to, now I'm going to, this is a good place to stop because I really do need this slides. I'm going to have to get the kinks worked out of whatever's going on here. But it is. We have fingers, we have hands, and I believe there are fingerprints. And we're going to look at that and, uh, next week when we come back. And that is, his, that is his design and his complexity. And I've got a couple of things I want to show you on that uh, topic. So this is probably a good time to stop. Uh, I'll bring an IT guy with me next time. Yes, Jay. Tonight's a total lunar eclipse for, for anyone who wants to get out there and appreciate uh, just the majesty of the creation itself. Very, very good. Uh, Jim, will you close us in prayer, please?
integral way to be able to just thinking about that and meditating on that in the word and just on a daily walk that we might have that filter block with you and that we rely on you and help to depend on you every day. And so we thank you for Jack Steady and just for simply your word and what you've shown us through Jack and uh, that we might look like that. And we pray for the church for all. Amen.